Hi, I'm Kerry Ruff, and welcome to Moving Your Energy Differently. Now, I'm an author, lecturer, and an expert in organizational energy. I help individuals and organizations of all kinds, corporate, academic. I help them to elevate their level of energy and improve their focus on key objectives. Now, I've brought together a unique set of tools into a discipline I like to call physical communication technology, which reflects more than two decades of work to establish the link between one's ability to mobilize physical energy and greater achievement. Now, I'm the founder of the New York City-based Success Conference, which for close to 10 years has attracted today's leading speakers on personal development. Now, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing some of these personal development leaders, these influencers, to give you some strategies and tips on how to move your daily life differently and with more energy. So I hope you enjoy it, and you can always contact me at kerryruff.com, K-E-R-R-Y. R-U-F-F, as in frankfrank.com. All right, I hope to meet you or see you some sometime soon. Thank you. So here's going to be the core of our model of debriefing, which is called debriefing with good judgment. Okay, now this, this has to do with communication and what you do as a doctor doctor of nursing mm-hmm. okay um, and I want to know about simulation mm-hmm. and and how um, effective communication to your team helps people in their communication and connecting with the people they work with mm-hmm. and, and doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists and how simulation and communication work. Right. So taking a theoretical step back before you think about communication, it's thinking about the underlying things that you believe as a provider, as a business person, as a, it it could be in any professional role or your personal life. So some, this is foundational things that change how you have learning conversations. So the idea that Number one, that we have frames, and frames are mental models. You may have heard people talk about them. Um, Cognitive schematas is another term. But basically, frames are the lens that you view the world with. So that is influenced by where you grew up, 
how your parents educated you, the things, your educational path, your personal beliefs, and they can be things that you are not even aware of, but they influence how you view situations, how you make decisions. So common frames that we teach around are assumptions. I assumed that Carrie would know the answer to that because he's an experienced physician. Um, the situational awareness. So situational awareness is particularly important in healthcare or in any high stress situation. If you have task perseveration, meaning I was only there to do X. I had to manage the patient's airway. And therefore, I did not see the fact that the patient was bleeding to death because the tourniquet was let down and there was an entire, you know, six units of blood on the floor. Um, so losing situational awareness. And the reason I want to talk about these, because how we see the world influences the actions that we take, which then it results in whatever outcome you get um, and that you're sometimes surprised about. Um, so it can be an absolute knowledge deficit. I have never seen this type of patient before. I've never been in this situation before where a family member's screaming at me. I had no idea what to do. Um, so there's, you know, the thing about frames is they come in a multitude of different flavors. They're always running for us subconsciously in our brains like software. And I can't know your frames until I ask you. I can make all kinds of assumptions about it, and that's when we get into trouble. But I don't know your frames until I inquire. And those frames are constantly influencing what, you, what we do, what we say, what we don't say. So frames can be helpful. So I believe that Carrie is a, a well-meaning physician that cares deeply about his patients. So therefore, I think he would want me to speak up and prevent him from making an error. That's a belief that is helping me speak up. However, if I believe that as a nurse I should never speak up to a senior consultant or physician, then that's going to stop me from speaking up. So that's going to create inaction. That's not a helpful frame for me. Um, and then, so actions then influence results. So the results can be, you know, the patient has a demise because nobody spoke up and let an error happen, which we know happens. And that's the, the major, you know, all the wrong site surgeries that have been investigated. By and large, there was always someone in the room who knew the right answer. But there were very complex reasons why people don't speak up. So typically, we talk about actions that lead to results and we say, Carrie, the next time you see a patient that has a fractured leg, you do this, this, and this. And you go, okay. So that then, in, when you see exactly that same type of patient, you may be able to do those steps. However, when you see a slightly different patient, now you're seeing a diabetic patient with a leg fracture. Those actions may not serve you well and we need to be working at the level of frames. So this is called single loop learning, action-oriented coaching. Do this, not that. This is frames, why we do it, what it is that we do, why we think about it, double loop learning. How do you and why do you 
and how do you what do you are there questions yes do you always ask should this do you start finding out a person's frame by asking a question to your superior excellent question so if I hold the belief that you are whatever it is you are it could be you are a businessman who is intelligent capable interested in doing his best and holds people in high regard I could believe that you're a physician a nurse a physical therapist a pharmacist who's intelligent smart wants to improve and cares deeply about doing the right thing about patients if I hold that basic assumption about you when I see you do something in simulation or in the real world, but we'll talk about simulation. In simulation, you do something that is clearly wrong. You make a wrong diagnosis, a wrong decision, a wrong whatever. If I believe you're intelligent, you care about what you want to do and you want to improve, then I can become curious about and say, in my mind, Carrie had a reason for doing what seems completely unreasonable to me, and I need to understand that reason. And how I do that is a tool called advocacy inquiry type questioning. And all that means is you're advocating for what it is that you observed and your point of view. So I would say to you, Carrie, I want to talk to you about when you took the patient history uh, in, in the room. And um, in particular, I'm interested in how you asked about um, patient allergies. Is that okay? Sure. So I heard you ask, Mr. Jones, you know, I'm going to give you such and such medications, uh, but I never heard you ask about his prior allergies, and I think that's a critical piece that would have prevented you from making a medication error. And I see that as, as an essential skill when you're doing history taking. So I'm wondering what was going on for you at the time. So I'm describing data clear, observable, court-level data. You agree, I agree, everybody in the room agrees. There's no inferences around it. It's just what happened. Then I describe my point of view about that. I think that was not a good thing to do because it resulted in you create, you know, making a medication error. So it's an in inquiry. And then I inquire. So it's the first two are all about me. What I saw, I heard, what I oh, think you about say, it. Okay, what I saw, you say, hello, uh, doctor. Da, da, da. What I what I saw, uh, what I saw is this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What you think about it, what your I, judgment. And, oh, my judgment first. Yeah. Oh, okay. All and right. then you inquire. What was going on for you at the what time? Help oh, me okay. see your point of view. Walk me through what you were thinking. The difference is that this is underpinned by curiosity, respect, and that I believe you are interested, capable, intelligent, and want to improve. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this is my take on it, and I want to hear your take. Okay. But because I'm willing to put my take on the table first, first. you are much more likely to put yours okay. there. That's first. Because it's now, in a setting of curiosity and respect. Okay. Now I want to know about 
winning trust. Mm -hmm. When you, Dr. Morse, put, set up this simulation, mm -hmm. how do you set up simulation? And tell us what simulation is and then how you set up trust to these this, these uh, doctors or lawyers or mm -hmm. engineers in this in, uh, environment of, of, of for, for this event for this purpose of helping them work together at the edge of their experience so it's everything that you do when they come in the room so I can't say to you Carrie this is a safe place safety psychological safety is your property I can do everything in terms of modeling it, being inviting, uh, setting up expectations, clear roles, um, talking about what's going to happen in the simulation in terms of the boundaries of what to expect, um, and acknowledging it's not perfect, you are not going to act the way that you 100% do. We understand that. We've all been in the simulation and done things and we're like, well, we would never do that in real life. And you're absolutely right. However, it is a surrogate for clinical practice. It allows us to have this space of time to talk about what it is that we think about in order to make clinical, complex clinical decisions. So it's everything you do. It's starts from when you invite them to the course, when you introduce yourself, when you use first names, when you have everything set up and comfortable for them, where you're transparent with what's going to happen for them. And then when they come and they sit to the debriefing, you refresh everything. So, you know, we've got 45 minutes here. We're going to spend, you know, I could see what you were doing and, and and hear what you were saying, but I have no idea what you're thinking, and that's what I'm really interested in. So we're going to spend time talking deeply about why it is you made the decisions or not decisions during the clinical time. So the first thing you do is set up the environment. Right. And say, look, you know, again. And talk. Yeah. You know, this is what's going to happen in debriefing. We're going to start off just mm. getting your reactions, how you're feeling. Then I'm going to tell you make sure we're all on the same page about the case and then we're going to spend the bulk of the time talking about you know I have three things I'm interested in talking about I'm interested in talking about how you organized yourselves as a team what happened when the family member came in and then I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the clinical differential diagnosis of organophosphate poisoning so and that sets up Tr uh, uh, yeah, because they know what it is their boundaries are there they know what we're going to talk about and then I say to them so is that everything you're interested in talking about, or do you have anything else? Does that seem like it's going to hit what now, you're interested in? when can you, in the very beginning, mm -hmm. when can you sometimes, there's distrust. Of course. When so it's all part, you know, so in the course introduction, you know, I'm, I'm sharing with them my philosophy and modeling mm. and uh, you know modeling I might tell a clinical story if it's appropriate so it's modeling fallibility and humor and you know this is what I'm interested in is you know passionate about patient safety so we're getting you know it's done 
it's not saying, so I am setting up psychological safety now, but I, in the background, have thought through all these things. So psych safety in teams is about the leader inviting feedback. So if you guys see something today, I'm very interested in continuing to develop my skills. Please give me feedback. You'll see me do things that are, I'll go, oh, that just wasn't what I meant it to be. Um, can I have a do-over? So you'll see me zig when I wished I had zagged, and you will do the same. So please hold the basic assumption about me, but please give me feedback. But it's even, and it's okay if you make mistakes. Yeah, of course, we all along the way in yes. the very beginning to with everything win this trust. Yeah, because you're modeling fallibility, and they're going to see things in debriefing. And I'll say to them, you know, I'm going to ask you things in debriefing that may not come out clearly and you know sometimes I look around the table and I think and I'll say you have no idea what I'm asking you do you uh, let me rephrase the question because clearly I'm not being clear so it's all you're setting up this shared agreement of curiosity respecting other people so respect for us is respecting different perspectives not earning it and you don't have to earn the basic assumption I give that to every single participant that walks through the door. If they don't see mm -hmm. that you care, mm -hmm. or can people see that you really care about them mm -hmm. in learning, mm -hmm. grasping this information to help them get better, Right. can they see that in your dress? Can they see that in your energy? Yeah, I think it's your demeanor. It's your humor, it's your openness, it's, you know, walking around while you're talking. We don't use podiums. We're, you know, we have people in small groups. We have, our faculty is embedded throughout the small groups. You know, I might have learned something. Part of the introductions is you introduce yourself, uh, your uh, specialty, and then something personal. So then I know something personal about all of you, and we've modeled that in the beginning. So we've modeled it, um, the introduction. So then, you know, five minutes later, I might say, oh, and Carrie, you know, listen, <laughs> we're not going to be doing this today, So, but I'm going to hook you up. You know, so we're constant. you know, you're constantly making those connections so people feel like, we care, and we do care, about who they are as people. And unless they request it, we don't refer to people as doctor or professor. It's Carrie, Kate, Mary. You know, we never use, ever, we never use um, titles unless people specifically request it. And we say that. We say, well, you know, we're here as learners. We're all here. We're going to learn. In this course, you're going to learn. Does it does it matter how you're dressed? We don't. So I never wear a suit teaching. We, for the most part, dress very casually. Um, if it's in Boston, um, by day three, most of us wear jeans. Um, some of our senior faculty wear jeans all the time. Uh, if we're in Hong Kong, although I will say that Hong Kong is less, uh, for the most part, most of our participants were dressed very, very casually. Um, so we sort of match whatever is there, and we talk to the people before we go to say, well, you know, what's appropriate, what's matching. Oh, you do talk to mm -hmm. people. Well, we talk to the site, they, yeah. Before you go in. Oh, yeah. 
So we match about, about the dress. Yeah, like what's appropriate. Their what's, culture. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about simulation and what that means and for what you do. Mm. So simulation is an, really an ethical imperative. So if you think back through... 250 years of medical training um, and nursing training, we are an apprenticeship profession. So we all learned on real live people. So the first time I put in a chest tube was in some little 90-year-old lady in the intensive care unit who had no idea that she was the first time I ever put a chest tube in or the first time I ever put a tube in somebody's trachea or the first time I did anything was with a real live patient. So think about the ethical imperative of practicing where you won't do harm. So for example, in airline industry, they don't get in a plane and fly a plane with 250 people the first time. They have done hundreds and hundreds of hours of simulations before they are allowed to touch real people. So why is it that we've not had that same training pathway? So moving people off of the first time you do something is with a real-life person to you have mastered the skill before you do it. So procedural skills, you should have done, you could do, maybe everybody's slightly different, but you may have done 25 of that procedure over and over and over again in a simulation with increasing complexity before you ever touch a real patient. So your chance of having an error and harming a patient are much less. So it's all about making patients safer and making clinicians safer because no clinician wants to harm anybody. And you travel the world going in and setting up simulations in situations so we teach the faculty. So we help schools, hospitals, um, simulation centers create a cadre of faculty that teach in this model where they create psychological safety. They're teaching at the frame level, so they're getting much more traction for behavior or change. So if you think about how hard is it to change behavior in adults, because these are all adults. Um, so, you know, Mesro talks about 10 stages that are not yes. linear, but um, so that's your change perspective is, a frame, is your frame. So Mesro talks about you have to have a disquieting experience that would be simulation. You're in a simulation. You don't practice the way that you thought you would. You made a decision that wasn't correct. You, you know, were short with your team members. You didn't bother communicating with your team members. Whatever it was, you have had now this, this is what I thought I was and did and said, and this is what I actually did and said. So you have this difference that's uncomfortable. So in order to even begin to consider changing your worldview, you have to be uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable in a psychologically safe learning environment, you are going to be able to get deep down into what was it that was driving you to do the things that you did. And you do that and by that's... people are dressed the way they would be dressed. They well, have no, you... the, the, the equipment sure. around in a, sure. that 
so they that would all, have. Yes. So that all goes into fidelity in terms of, so it should smell the way an operating theater smells, the, the cautery of, of flesh, which you smell when you walk into a theater, is there. So all the things that make it real, so you're emotionally activated, your adrenaline is up, and you, you know, depending on where you are on the stress curve, that's very good for learning, or if you're on the tail end of the stress curve, that's not good for learning. So we don't want people to be so stressed they cannot think, but we do want them to be emotionally activated. But what this all comes into is debriefing. So if in debriefing, we are going to spend time. So, Carrie, I want to talk to you about when you were team leader. I saw you at the end of the bed, um, and I never heard you say, I'm team leader. I'm going to be running this resuscitation. Uh, and yet I saw you calling out orders, not giving them to anybody in particular. And your team did not seem to be paying any attention to you because I didn't hear them follow up on any of your orders. Observation. I think that that makes for a very unsafe environment because nobody, you have no shared mental model and that's when bad things start to happen. So help me understand what was going on for you at the time. So then you, if you feel like this is a psychologically safe environment, are going to be willing to share your thinking. Well, listen, I, of course I'm in charge. I'm always in charge. I'm the trauma surgeon. I don't need to say it. Okay, that's so interesting. So tell me more about, like, how does that work in your real life? Well, I'm the trauma surgeon. As soon as I walk into the room, everybody turns to me. Okay, keep talking to me about, it. like, how does that, and then I'll turn to the rest of the team. Do you guys all believe this? How does that work for you in the room with, with Kerry when he's team leader? Oh, you don't know he's in charge. You think he, you have no idea what he's thinking and bad things happen all the time and you correct error. So then we start, so now we're getting to, this is not teaching about, actions would be carry. Every time you're in charge, you come to the side of the bed and you say, I'm in charge. That's action-oriented coaching. I want to get to the frame that drove Kerry to do what he did. Okay, so now we're really talking about assumptions. When you come in, you, we make a lot of assumptions about teams. And we're going for... We're going for... The goal is to... Change your frame. And frame, once again, is the phrase that you use, which was great. Well, assumption, but... Or mental model or schemata. It's well, to change your thinking, your lens that you view the world. How I view the world. Right. So I. So you may have... Like, I can't make you change because you're an adult, but I'm going to try and heavily influence you. So I'm going to say, okay, Carrie, so your rule when you come in the room is, I'm the trauma surgeon, I'm in charge. So, Kate, you're a general surgeon, so what's your rule when you come in an emergency, when, you're, when you walk into the room? What, what, how do you make that decision? Ah, I see. So, Kate, you're a nurse at the bedside. What's your rules around this? And then, okay, so now we have seven different rules about how to approach this. Let's talk about what's working well. Because, Carrie, I want to make the proposal that I don't think your rule is working very good for you. Because the rest of the team has no idea what you're thinking, and you have really critical information. And they can help support you much better without guessing so what it is you're thinking. So you want to know how I make decisions. Yeah. And how I view the world in mm -hmm. which to make decisions. It would help that we all know mm -hmm. our frames right. are how we make decisions. Right. 
so but you and then you the depending on how many people you have in the room you know there may be six or seven different perspectives and that goes back to respect which is how we're going to treat each other which we talk about ahead of time which is you know you have a different point of view than carrie and we value different perspectives so you're going to hear those discussions in you know we don't have to agree with each other all with the main purpose of helping so that the the next time right so the next time that carrie is in a resuscitation the hope is he's going to have considered if you go back to mesro he's now thought okay I want to try on, because that's, you know, Mesro talks about you try on a new frame, a new perspective. So he might go in and say, okay, I'm going to try on. So I'm Carrie. I'm the trauma surgeon today. I'm going to be running the resuscitation. Or he might talk to his team and say, you know, so I went to the simulation and they say I have to do this. So, you know, how do you say it? So you're going to check this out with trusted colleagues and you're going to try it on. And if you're in a clinical environment where everybody after the resuscitation comes out and says, that was so helpful that you identified that you were team leader and you told us what you were thinking and you told Told us us what what you were thinking. And you told us what you thought the problem was. And then when I said, hey, you know, we didn't, we missed the fact that this was a high impact. I think there could be a ruptured aorta in here. You listened to me and we had a, like, that was so, I just thought that was so much more helpful for us. Carrie is much more likely to, adopt that new frame to then become that subcortical behavior to then all together as a team help that patient right bottom line exactly last question what is your uh, your name your position uh, and what you do yeah your name your position so it's um, Kate Morse. I'm the Associate Director of Educational Leadership and International Programs at the Center for Medical Simulation. That's a mouthful. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, oh, let me turn this off. Hey there, Moving Your Energy Differently community. If you feel you got some practical insights and achievement strategies from listening to this podcast, I would be over the top grateful if you would go to my Twitter handle at Carrie Ruff and leave a comment. I thank you so very much. You have made my day, uh, my year. (laughs) Thank you very much.